and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we are going to head to the hospital to go and welcome our new baby brother into this world. We're also going to, you know, I don't know, cry ourselves to sleep, if we could get any sleep, having this new baby. Um, And then also, uh, I don't know, we're going to go on an adventure in the woods with our best friends. But um, on today's episode, we are going to be covering a little movie from 1998 called The Rugrats Movie. Now, um, I am getting back into recording a little bit because I did a lot of pre-record for October, so this episode you're hearing today is like the first episode of November of this year, so, uh, you know, back into the swing of it, but it'll be all good. Uh, Now, with the Rugrats in particular, I mean, I I am a child of the 90s, and uh, for me at least, uh, Rugrats was a huge thing. I mean, I definitely watched that show so much. Oh my God, so much. And so like, you know, I definitely saw this in the theater, you know, that was my history of like having, you know, dragging my mother to it (laughs) or something. Um, I did the same thing with like Doug, you know, when Doug had his little movie that was released by Disney or whatever. Uh, And like seeing Harriet the Spy in, in theaters as well. I was a Nickelodeon kid. So like... This is a huge deal for me to have seen this, and uh, and also right now at least like it is um, on like Paramount Plus, for example. It was actually released in November of 1998, so it is uh, actually celebrating. I guess technically it would be celebrating its dear God in heaven. Oh my God, it's been um oh geez, I guess 25 years. Yeah, 25 years. That's so fucking crazy. Oh okay, well happy birthday. Happy early birthday, I guess, <laughs> to the Rugrats movie. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, um, we'll, we'll talk about the movie and, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, as we normally do on this show, but that's just my history, though. Like I said, um, yeah, that's my history. Like I said, with this, with this, uh, this property, if you will. And uh, now that I've learned more about, uh, just like. Nickelodeon as a whole and also just like the Rugrats a little bit as well during my research of this episode. Um, I mean, I still like the Rugrats, you know, I haven't watched the reboot or anything like that, that they're doing on Paramount plus, I believe, you know, and I, I haven't watched that or anything, but like, uh, I still really like the original movie, you know, and I, well, the original show, but also I did like this movie for the most part, but, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll get all into that, though. We'll talk about, you know, uh, a little bit about the history of this franchise, if you will, uh, the movie itself. And we'll go over, like, the plot of it and all that kind of fun stuff and, and go into all of that. But without further ado, let's move into some of our figures of this film. So the Rugrats movie premiered at Grauman's Chinese Theater on November 8th, 1998, meaning it is celebrating its 25-year anniversary today when you're hearing this. Um, And then it was actually widely released on the 20th of November. Uh, But it premiered on today, which is kind of cool. We're looking at a runtime of about 80 minutes, and then it was distributed by both Paramount Pictures and Nickelodeon Movies. And this is actually the second feature from Nickelodeon Movies, the first being Harriet the Spy. And it's the first Nicktoon to also get its own movie. Uh, And then we're looking at about a $24 million budget of this film. 
So for the weekend ranking gross, this was at number one uh, with $27,321,470. And it was actually the top of the weekend as well. It, it was pretty much at the top of the box office for a bit until it got taken over by the faculty, actually, funny enough. Um, and yeah. And I will also say, too, so let me go through a little bit. So domestically, it made about $100,494,675. And then internationally, it made about $40 million. So we're looking at about $140,894,675. So this movie does have the distinct pleasure of being the first non-Disney animated feature film to actually gross over a hundred million dollars domestically. Uh, so now it's been, you know, kind of, uh, overtaken obviously. And it was beat out by like the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, of course. But, uh, I will say at least this movie does have the distinction of being the first not Disney movie to actually make a hundred million dollars. So that's, that's pretty good. Good for you. The drug rats movie, <laughs> uh, for, uh, like the rotten Tomatoes score, we're looking at about a 59%, uh, from 51, uh, reviews and then a 50%, uh, for about 50,000 ratings. So we're split <laughs> on it. Um, and then obviously, uh, and then of course it's a 3.1 out of five on Letterboxd. But I mean, they're very much like this is a kid's movie, so it's not exactly made for the parents or anything. I guess unless parents liked the Rugrats or something. Um, but yeah, that's what that was. Now, when we're talking about the cast and the crew of this movie, so our particular directors are um, Norton Virgilin and Igor Kovaloyev, I believe. Um, so they did this movie, but they also did the Rugrats Go Wild movie, and that is the crossover movie between the Rugrats and the Wild Thornberries. Uh, also, the Wild Thornberries is pretty lit, too. So but that was that. Um they, I don't even know if they'd worked on the Rugrats TV show like that, um, but they were brought in for this. So it was a co-direction type of thing going on. The writers of the movie uh, were David and Wise and J. David Stem, I believe. Um, so there's some guys who wrote a couple different movies. So uh, Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, which was the, a movie that came out in the 2000s and then got turned into a TV show on Nickelodeon. They wrote that. They also wrote the sequel to this, Rugrats in Paris, the movie, um, which has a song by Cyndi Lauper that just makes me cry. And I love it. God, Cyndi Lauper's so good. Uh, it also has, they also wrote Clockstoppers, the, you know, Jesse Bradford movie from 2000 or whatever the hell. Why was it a thing? I have no idea either, but they wrote that. And then also fun fact as well. They also wrote All Dogs Go to Heaven, or at least one of them did. I think it was the, um, Dave, uh, Jay David guy. I think he wrote that, but anyway, so yeah, kind of all over the place a little bit, uh, our composer is the one and only Mike Mothersbaugh. He is uh, one of the founding members of Devo, but he is also like kind of a very well-known composer now. Uh, so he did like uh, Cocaine Bear. He did the soundtrack for 13 or the score for 13. He did the Royal Tenenbaums. Um, he's the composer of Drop Dead Gorgeous uh, and also uh, as well Halloween Town and a couple different DCOMs as well, I think. And uh, he's kind of the the go-to Nickelodeon composer as well. He uh, has also been involved with a lot, pretty much all of the like 
Rugrats stuff he's done. Um, but he's also done, I think, some other things for Nickelodeon as well. So I hope he has a good bag, if anything. Like, that's good for him. <laughs> The cinematographer, so obviously this is an animated feature, so uh, it wasn't an actual, like, studio. Stu- it's a studio, but it's an animation studio. So, uh, Klasky Shupo, um, who we'll talk about in a little bit, but they created the damn Rugrats, um, and uh, it was a, the big, big thing that they had. Um, and then the editor is John Bryant and Kimberly Rettberg, who I think she might be married now um, to someone else, and she doesn't have that name anymore, but at the time, that's what it was. So they actually edited, uh, like, the Wild Thornberries movie and also Rugrats Go Wild. So that's what kind of they had done before and all of that. So that's, like, the crew of the movie. And then, of course, you have all sorts of different people. But those are, like, kind of the main uh, big folks, you know, of of that particular, uh, you know, production crew. So our cast is... uh, kind of a mix of different people that I'll talk about a little bit, but we'll talk about our babies cast. Um, one of the things I think is really cool about Rugrats is legitimately all of the babies on this show were all voiced by women, which is really, really cool to me. Um, obviously, this was created by a woman, too, which I just think is really boss. And who knows? I think also had a little bit to do with its longevity it had, but we'll talk about all that as well um, as we talk about the series as a whole. But we have and pretty much all of these people originated these roles as well. Um, so you have like uh, E.G. Daly, Elizabeth Daly, whatever you want to call her. Um, she's Tommy Pickles. She is from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Uh, she plays Dottie. She's also from Valley Girl. She plays Lori. Uh, she's in Better Off Dead, where she, I think, plays kind of herself. Um, but also she is, you know, Buttercup. She is Tommy Pickles. Uh, yeah, Buttercup from the Powerpuff Girls. Um, yeah, she has had like a really interesting career uh, and a really kind of interesting life too. Like she, you know, was like a musician in the eighties and had like a number one dance hit. Uh, She like got married and had children and also divorced Rick Solomon. Um, That's a whole thing. That's fucking crazy. Um, So, you know, the guy who had a sex tape with Paris Hilton, you know, that's just his, her, that's just her ex-husband. It's fine. But um, her, her life's really interesting. I would always recommend um, any sort of interview that... And she, I think she's also really candid as well. So, like, I would recommend uh, looking up any sort of EG Daily type of interviews and stuff like that. She's just really interesting to find out more about. And uh, she's kind of been an open book, honestly. Um, but she's, she's, she's... What a woman, you know? Anyway, so that's E.G. Daly. Then we have a little uh, little actress, you know, named uh, Tara Strong, who plays Dill Pickles, who just cries throughout the movie. Um, so Tara Strong, uh, previously known as uh, Tara Cherendoff. Uh, I mean, I just have my notes that she's Tara fucking Strong. She literally is just so many different characters. She's everything. She's literally so many different voices. I mean, she's Dill Pickles. Every iteration of Dill Pickles is pretty much her. I mean, but she literally is like Bubbles from Powerpuff Girls. She is... <laughs> what am I talking about? Powerpuff Girls and Rugrats? Like, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> that shows you what I watched when I was a kid. Um, Tara Strong has just been... She's a voiceover, like, queen, really. Um, 
so very well known, so you know, vast with what she has done. She's Timmy Turner, you know, from uh, Fairly Odd Parents, and a lot of things on Nickelodeon, a lot of things in Disney, all this kind of stuff. Very talented. Uh, was in two made-for-TV Sabrina movies. <laughs> Teenage Witch movies, it's cool. Um, you know, I I just think she is uh she's such a boss. So yeah, Tara Strong's in this movie. Uh Christine Cavanaugh, who unfortunately has passed away. Um, but she is the uh originator of Chucky Finster. Um she was also in like um she I think it was a probably a voice or maybe an actress in Ter- Jerry Maguire. Also, she's the original voice of Babe, um, Pig in the City. Uh, but she's had all sorts of different you know, voiceover, uh, voiceover roles and things of that sort. And she unfortunately has since passed away. Um, but we love you, Christine Cavanaugh. I mean, she just, yeah, she's such an interesting voice and, um, yeah, I really liked her. And then you have like, uh, Kath Susie. Um, so she's also very well known in the, the sphere. Uh, so like she was in Zootopia, Space Jam, Curious George. Uh, she originated Phil and Lil's character and also Betty DeVille. Don't worry. We'll talk about Betty DeVille a little bit, but, uh, you know, that's, that's them. Um, Tress McNeil is also in this film. She plays Charlotte Pickles. Um, Tress McNeil is an icon. She's a mom from Futurama, but also she was in Elvira Mistress of the Dark, where she played uh, the voice of Aunt Morgana and also the newscaster lady in the beginning of the movie. So good. So uh, and also a groundling and a friend of Cassandra Peterson. So that's cool. She's also in like Spaceballs. And again, she's just had like a... Like I'm pretty sure she was on The Simpsons for different voices and things like that. So, you know, just really great. Um, Jack Riley, for example, he's Stu, Stu Pickles. Um, he was in like Boogie Nights, um, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. He's also since now passed away, but he was really cool. Um, and like Joe Alasky as well. He was Grandpa Lou and he was in like Forrest Gump, Casper, all sorts of movies. I think he... I don't, I don't know if he's passed away, actually. Let me, let me check that real quick. Yeah, but that's kind of like your main people, I guess. Um, yeah, Joe Lasky since passed away, unfortunately. Um, you have, like, Philip Proctor. He is uh, Howard DeVille. He's been in a couple different things as well. Um, you know, he at least did that. And then you have, like, uh, oh, wait, Michael. Oh, yeah, Michael Bell does, like, um, Drew Pickles and Chaz Finster and all that. So he's, like, um, he's, like, a big voiceover guy, too. Um, he's done a couple different things, a couple crazy, crazy things. But, yeah, that's him. God, what else? Uh, yeah, those are, like, the big ones, really, honestly. Um, but then you have all sorts of guest people in this. So, like, you have David Spade as one of the... Uh, rangers in this movie also will be goldberg her voice as well tim curry is playing um the newscaster uh who shows up throughout which is then funny because then he's also in the um he is one of the only people who's been in all of the rugrats movies because he's in this movie he also voices somebody in the paris movie and i think he's also in rugrats go wild because he's natural thornberry so there's that um Oh, Andrea Martin's in this movie. She plays the aunt in the beginning. Um, love that for her. Uh, of course, Cree Summers in the movie because she's Susie Carmichael, and Susie at least has a little role in this. Um, a couple different things like Margaret Cho plays like the cop, like the lady cop in this, and also like Edie McClurg is like one of the nurses at the um, when Dee Dee's gonna have her baby, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the there are there's this 
scene where all of these babies are singing. We'll get into it. Um, but that is a collection of different song uh song people musicians uh so like lenny kravitz iggy pop oh we won't talk about it lisa loeb who's actually a fan of the the um the rugrats um and had a song on the soundtrack um all day which is cool is a banger and also two of the b52s were also a part of these baby singers beck was one lou rawls was one um yeah dude all over the place so I don't know, man. It's so crazy. But yeah, that's like our voice cast. It's kind of all over with everything. But, you know, we'll talk about that. But we're going to, now that we talked about the voice cast a little bit, where they all kind of came from, talked a little bit about the figures of the movie. I think it's important to then go in now to a little bit about the history of the Rugrats. How did this movie come to be? And all that good stuff. So before we talk about the plot of this movie, or just talk about it in general, right? Because, um, again, this movie is something where it, it's like 80 minutes, you know, so really like 70-something minutes without credits. So, like, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit, but, like, I think we'll end up talking about just the series as a whole. But we got to talk a little bit about just how the series came to be. But, like, we got to talk first, though, about Klasky Shupo Inc., that is the company that this cartoon was created uh, by. So it was founded in 1982 by producer Arlene Klasky and a Hungarian animator named Gabor Shupo, hence the company's name. Um, they were a husband and wife duo. I don't know if they're still together, um, actually, funny enough. No, they aren't. They divorced in 1995, but they were married for quite a while, and they were married as part of being on this show together. So the big thing for them, some of the history of this particular company, was that Klasky Shupo got its start in 1982. It was founded in the spare bedroom of a Hollywood apartment where, like I said, Arlene Klasky and Gabor Shupo um, were living during their marriage. So about one year later, they expanded and moved to a new location, opening its first facility in Hollywood. So, Klasky Shupo was initially distinguished by its work on logo designs, commercials, feature films, um, trailers, TV show titles, promos, and indent spots for a wide variety of clients. So, they were an animation studio, really, because um, both of these people were animators. So... That was kind of what they did. They earned a reputation of just being imaginative and innovative. Um, and so they left the Seward uh, Street location to open a second facility in 1988 at the corner of Fountain and Highland Avenues. And so this studio um, soon grew to include about six buildings that have uh, become well-known in Hollywood. And so like the exterior walls of these buildings have a lot of their characters they created and everything like that. And so the studio's first big break really came in about 1987 when James L. Brooks of Gracie Films commissioned the studio to actually produce the title sequence for a comedy series called The Tracy Ullman Show. Um, Tracy Ullman, for those who don't know, she's like, I think, a British uh, lady who had a TV show, like a little variety show, kind of like Carol Burnett show a little bit, but not really, but like kind of sort of. Anyway. In addition to this main title sequence that they made, Klasky Shupo was also given the opportunity to uh, produce and animate uh, a new series of one-minute cartoons that featured a family called The Simpsons that was created by Matt Groening. 
I don't know if you've heard of it or anything, but, you know, Klasky Shupo, though, they produced and animated all 48 of these shorts that they did. And when it began airing, um, when it began, one of the most uh, popular segments on the show, they ended up making a weekly half hour series entitled The Simpsons. Again, I don't know if you heard the show or anything, but, you know, (laughs) I don't know. But, uh oh, maybe they have a whole, like, part of a theme park that's... It doesn't matter. Whatever. Um, But, yeah, Klasky Shupo, they oversaw and animated every episode of the first three seasons of that series. Um, And that resulted in the studio sharing the 1989 to 1990 and 1990 to 1991 Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding uh, Animated Program with Gracie Films. So needless to say, Klasky Shupo, um, you know, they, they got a break. <laughs> they got a pretty big break uh, when it came to doing part of the Simpsons stuff, which was cool. Um, so, like, they did, like, the Do the Bartman, um, like, little music video that they did, which was kind of a big thing. Um, actually, one of the... Um, one of the animators was actually the one who conceived the idea of the Simpsons having uh, yellow skin and like Marge having blue hair kind of a thing. Uh, so that's kind of cool. And so in 1992, uh, Gracie films, a switched domestic production of the Simpsons to film Roman uh, from 1992 to 2016. So um, Shupa was asked by Gracie films if they could bring in their own producer to oversee the animation production, but declined stating that um, they wanted to tell me how to run my business. And so um, Sharon Bernstein of the Los Angeles times wrote that Gracie executives had been unhappy with the producer. Shupo had, um, assigned to the Simpsons and said the company also hoped to obtain better wages and also working additions for animators at film Roman and about of the 110 people he employed to animate the Simpsons. Um, Shupo had to lay off about 75 of them. So that happened. Um, but you know, so they ended up not being a part of the Simpsons any longer. Um, you know, for whatever reasons and all that, but then they did get a little bit of a, uh, a boon when in 1991. So I found this information from uh, a little documentary I've mentioned before that I've watched called the orange years, which I think might still be on Hulu. I hope it goes to Tubi so that more people can watch it honestly, but it's about um, Nickelodeon as a whole and its whole history. And it does focus on the, um, the nineties Nickelodeon television shows and things like that. And one of the ones that they do mention about is literally, um, the Rugrats, obviously. But a uh, basic idea is that Nickelodeon um, started making their own content because a lot of their stuff was really coming from, um, you know, acquired programming, stuff that was not original to Nickelodeon and like things like things like that is what they were doing. Um, so when they had the chance, they, they kind of got a big break with like Double Dare, for example, um, and even something like Hey Dude um, when they started making that. So, uh, they brought in, they were like, all right, well, we're a kids network and we should have some kind of like animation that is like our own. And so, um, Vanessa Coffey, who was the executive at the time, who, um, she was the development executive for animation. She was brought in and, um, they were looking for talent to, to pitch, um, stuff to her, um, to create these, what were then be end up calling Nicktoons. And so the three Nicktoons that ended up getting chosen were Doug by, um, created by Jim Jenkins, this show Rugrats created by 
you know, Klasky uh, Shupo, and then Ren and Stimpy, created by John Chris Flusi. But all of those ended up being the Nicktoons, and needless to say, with the, the Nicktoons, uh, that became a big deal, because this was a way for Nickelodeon to kind of really set themselves apart um, when it came to children's programming and things of that sort, because they made their own cartoons, and all of these cartoons really hit it big. Um, I mean, truly. Like, you know, Ren and Stimpy... Again, we won't talk about John Christopher Lucy. Go watch Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy, um, the documentary about that, because you'll learn all about him uh, and how much of a piece of shit he is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but like Ren and Stimpy was kind of like the, you know, how did the hell does this get on Nickelodeon? Um, but like it was very like subversive and weird and just like all this. Right. Doug was so just very much like kind of slice of life a little bit, which similar to the Rugrats, I think kind of was a little bit. But um Doug was very much about like kind of the preteen thing going on, you know, um, very slice of life, very Jim Jenkins, you know, of him, which was great. Um, that then ended up going to Disney, but, uh, but the Rugrats though, too, I think with the Rugrats, that was really just, uh, it's, it's not hard to say, I guess, but like as somebody who lived through it, I mean, Rugrats really was the, for the longest time, it was the longest running TV show on Nickelodeon, um, truly was, uh, and it still is kind of one of the longest running ones that they had. It, it lasted for a good 10 years. Actually, I think it was on for 13 years, if I'm not mistaken. So it, it lasted for quite a bit. So, and now it's, you know, come back in reboots form and, and everything like that. So I, I do think like there is something to be said for, for that. So yeah. So that's how pretty much like, the basis of like who Klasky Shupo was. They also ended up making like Aria Monsters as well because of how uh because of how like popular the Rugrats became. Uh because really it was just that. Um during the time that uh Aria Monsters happened, uh they actually ended production on Rugrats due to uh the 65 episode rule, I guess. And then when Rugrats went into syndication, it exploded in popularity and the ratings were skyrocketing and advertising went off. Like it just, you know, it prompted then Nickelodeon and Classy Shupo to resume production on um Rugrats. And the Rugrats has been uh kind of cited as like a show like The Simpsons, but for children. Um so that's a little bit of a classy Shupo, but I'm going to talk a little bit about Rugrats particularly um, as well. So this show premiered on August 11th of 1991, um, along with Doug and the Ren and Stimpy show. Um, and again, we had an initial installment of 65 episodes that spanned over three seasons um, and all that good stuff. But again, Rugrats was formed by um, Gabor Shupo and Ar- Arlene Klasky, um, along with Paul Germain in 1989. So um, Klasky Shupo had uh, the animation firm and all this stuff. Again, they had all that, what I just told you. Um, but the trio decided to create their own series in reaction to a Nickelodeon that was trying to make their own TV shows. Um, Vanessa Coffey approached them to make a pilot and everything. And so they did end up making this uh, with Nickelodeon. 
Uh, Peter Chung, who, along with Klasky Shupo, co-designed the characters and directed the series pilot, as well as the opening sequence, um, he is stated... He stated that he, um, Gabor, wanted the babies to look strange instead of cute. So, like, the production was completed in 1990, and they submitted it to over to Nickelodeon, who tested it with a pilot of um, children. Um, so the pilot was tested on children, and it seems like it was good feedback. So Jerry Layborn, Jerry Lee Layborn, um, then approved and bought the series, and uh, then Chucky and Angelica were actually added after that. Um, once the series went to, once the pilot went to series, um. And then just other certain things. So, like, Paul Germain uh, had, like, a girl bully in his, like, childhood. So, like, that's where Angelica came from. Um, And a couple different things like this. Um, But, yeah. uh, Let's see what else is there. I'm just trying to see if there's anything in particular. But, yeah, I think it was just interesting to see this kind of idea of these babies just, like, talking amongst one another and then also the parents not knowing that they're talking obviously um and just them staying in the same age forever was really weird but you know it's fine um but the regrets really visualizes ordinary everyday activities through the eyes of a group of toddlers so using their imaginations these babies transform routine tasks into surprising adventures um and the babies having a limited understanding of the world like mispronounced words they use improper grammar um challenges often emerge because the babies misinterpret the adults um usually caused by angelica's disrupt uh, deceptive translations and so like the grown-ups of uh, rugrats are like simultaneously quirky they're overcautious and oblivious and the series really portrays adults as these mysterious eccentrics and episodes usually central on center on like a moral lesson that the babies will learn during their imaginative explorations and i honestly think now that you know that's what wiki has told me but like that's such a good way of putting it because I think that's why the show lasted for so long because it was very much just taking this ordinary mundane thing and turning it into this like big, you know, adventure, right? Um, whether it be you go with the doctor for the first time or when you, you know, you have that kind of thing or like, or when you get your hair cut for the first time or like whatever, I don't know. Or like, you know, you don't know anything about, like, being an adult, right? So, like, the big thing that people, like, remember with, like, the Rugrats is the episode where, like, uh, uh, Tommy and Chucky, they, like, have a dream or something. And, like, they are just, like, big people and they go to jo- they go to their job and they're paper pushers and stuff. Like, that is so much, like, a comment on just, like, what it's like to be an adult and have to work, right? But, like, also it's just, like... You know, that's something where people are like, oh, my God, no, I'm just that. Like, that is who I am as an adult, really. I'm just a, a literal kid, like a baby, just like in a, a adult body being like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know what I mean? So, um, but I think there's that level of nostalgia. It's something where it is simplistic. It's very much like, yeah, it's turning something into it's turning something mundane into an adventure. And I think that's, like, so super cool. Like, I'm down for that, you know? Um, and I also think, too, in, a, in a, a fun way, there was something a little different to this as well. So, like, seeing specific things like a 
you know, Jewish representation. I will very, uh, <laughs> I will very much tell that, um, anything I know about Hanukkah or Passover being that I'm not a, a Jewish person at all. Um, anything I know about like Hanukkah or Passover or any of that stuff literally comes from the Rugrats because I have watched these TV episodes and, uh, they teach me all I need to know. So it's like, there you go. But, uh, that's exactly what it is. And, but seeing that on TV was really interesting. Um, obviously you could like be like, yo, was Betty DeVille like a low key lesbian? You know what I mean? She had a husband like what? Um, but like, you know, I mean, that's cool at all. Um, and like Susie Carmichael seeing like a black family living around, you know, um, in the neighborhood. That's cool too. You know, I mean, it's these different things where, you know, Obviously, like, this comes from, you know, Klasky and Chupo's, like, kind of experiences as new parents and things like that. But also, it's like, I don't know, it's just something different that you weren't always seeing, you know, at that time. And then the other thing, too, even though this was a part of it, right, I think that, not that I was alive in the 80s, but, like, from what I've gathered and what I've kind of understood is that when it comes to cartoons, Back in the 80s when they had cartoons, that was really a way to be able to sell toys, specifically. Like, toy companies had these characters, and then uh, the, the, you know, then the particular cartoon would be kind of a, a means in order to sell toys, right? You had some random ones like Beetlejuice, which was obviously based off of a movie, Or, like, even Bill and Ted had a cartoon, right? But, like, you know, these little things that kind of came from that. Um, But I think something like the Nicktoons, especially, these were not... This was not created to sell merchandise. It ended up selling merchandise because that's how a company like, you know, Nickelodeon will make money, obviously. Um, Or, you know, making a big fucking movie like this, right? But, like, uh, these cartoons are really just made as a way to be like, Hey, let's try to do this part of the business. We're a kid's Nick. We are, we're a kid's television company. Like we should make our own cartoons. And I think that that was a really smart way to do it. Um, cause obviously Disney had been doing it already in a, in a way, obviously, but even Disney channel was always a little different too. You know, Disney channel is not the same as, Disney Channel was not the same in the 90s as it is today, you know? Um, it was still a little different. It was also still a premium channel. Nickelodeon then be, was one where you really could end up watching that quite a bit, uh, which was cool. But yeah, it was a lot more accessible to people, I feel like. Um, so that was really interesting, too. But yeah, and I mean, this thing went on for about a good 10 years, which is, like, crazy. And it also spawned, like... Uh, the All Grown Up series, of course, um, which followed the kids, um, the babies, to become preteens. And I will tell you what, oh my god, so the All Grown Up like special, that was my shit. Because it came out when I was like literally like nine years old or something, like legitimately. And like, that was my shit, okay? Like, I remember like watching that. I remember taping it, bitch. Like, oh my God. Like it was a revelation y'all. It was such a revelation. And so like, you know, obviously that got really good ratings. Cause they were like, what the hell is going to happen when these kids grow up? Right. Amazing. Um, 
And so that lasted from 2003 to 2008, that little show, um, which is cool. But then Rugrats itself ended in August 11th of 2004, which is funny because it also like premiered that same uh, day, like 13 years before that, which is crazy. But yeah, that's a little bit about that. And then, you know, just like the reception, I mean, obviously this had like crazy ratings. It was one of the highest uh, rated TV shows on Nickelodeon. Um, it got pretty like positive reviews from critics and fans. Apparently Steven Spielberg referred to the series as one of the several shows that was one of the best children's programming at the time. He described regrets as a sort of t- uh, TV peanuts for our time. And it was also just a huge point with um, Nickelodeon. Um, so Simya um, Zargam, he, who she was the president of Nickelodeon at one point, she no longer is, um, but she was the president from 2006 to 2018. Um, so she has talked about, for example... She said that during the past decade, when she was, you know, president and all that, Rugrats has evolved from a ratings powerhouse, being the number one children's TV show on TV, to pop icon status. It has secured a place in our in the hearts of both kids and adults who see it from their own point of views. Um, and yes, there was that. Um, Jeff Jarvis reviewed Rugrats and stated that when The Simpsons was a sub segment on the Tracy Ullman show, it was just a belt joke with hip pretensions. And as a series, it grew flesh and guts. It was my favorite cartoon until I discovered Nickelodeon's Rugrats, a sardonic, sly, kid's eye view um, of the world that skewers 30-something parents and Cosby kids. Um, so yeah, I mean... I think it's just something where this show in particular really just turned something, it just turned everyday situations into something that was so cool. And it really, I think, spoke to kids, which is why it was something that lasted for so long um, as a kid who who was the target audience. Um of course, there were some, like, uh, <laughs> there was a little bit of controversy with the uh, Rugrats. And I'm not talking about the whole thing of, like, Angelica's mentally ill and all the babies are dead. I don't buy into that shit, but whatever. Um, it was noteworthy. I said mentioned earlier um, for depicting, like, observable, identifiable Jewish families. So, like, Jewish, Christian, and Muslim religious groups gave the series high praise for their, like, special holiday episodes. Um Nonetheless, though, at one point, the Anti-Defamation League and the Washington Post editorial page um, castigated the series for its depiction of maternal grandparents of Dahomey Pickles, who accused them um, of their character's designs of resembling Nazi-era depiction of Jewish people. Um, So that's not great. But they did get about 20 different... um, They won about, like, 20 different awards, so they won everything from, like, a Daytime Emmy Award, um, of course, countless um, uh, Kids' Choice Awards as well, Um, a lot of Daytime Emmys, a lot of... um, these particular ones, they just won a lot of different awards, y'all, okay? (laughs) They just did. Um, They've also been uh, given a... uh, star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2001, uh, which is so super cool. Um, and yeah, it's just lauded as kind of one of the best, you know, particular cartoons out there. Uh, and it is. I think it is really good. And it's one that, you know, 
is really fun. Now, talking about the series as a whole, we then also have to talk about this movie, obviously, because that's the whole point of this podcast. But, um, I mean, the basic idea, though, I mean, general idea is that making Rugrats into a movie existed since the beginning of the series was. So the first attempt was in 1993, when Nickelodeon made a two-year contract deal with 20th Century Fox to produce into material. But an unnamed Nickelodeon executive did not rule out the possibility to make films based on their existing properties. One of those that was um, proposed was Rugrats, along with the other Nicktoons, Doug and Ren and Stimpy. Um, However, in 1994, Nickelodeon's parent company, Viacom, acquired Paramount Pictures, and Paramount would distribute the films instead. As a result, the contract that Fox had expired, uh, with no films being produced, although, as I mentioned before, Doug got his own movie in uh, 1999, which was released by Walt Disney Pictures, who owned Doug by that point. And so production on the Rugrats movie started a year later in 1996, and it then came about about two years later. This was supposed to come out in 1999, but they didn't want to um, have it come out to... um, they didn't want it to come out uh, around that time because there was other competition with like the Iron Giant and a couple other animated movies that were also coming out. So they decided to push it out uh, in 1998. So there was that. Um, yeah, those are like the big things, I guess, really. And then also one of the fun things about the Rugrats movie is like um, the soundtrack's really fun too. But like um, there was actually a. So with Harriet the Spy, and whenever I cover Harriet the Spy, I'll talk a little bit about it, but uh, Harriet the Spy had a little short in it, which would then end up becoming um, Hey Arnold, but this uh, in particular, the Rugrats movie had a little short of, um, it was just a little short of a little show that would end up becoming Cat Dog, Um, so that was kind of cool that they could premiere those and it would be a big audience and obviously this movie made over a hundred million dollars because kids were like going to it in droves so it was cool to have this short be a part of the beginning credits or like um you know kind of a pre-thing before the show um to be able to get the word out about something like cat dog which then ended up becoming a tv show so that's kind of cool but yeah i mean and that wasn't completely you know off the course for for something like Nickelodeon to do with that kind of a thing but yeah I mean those are like kind of the big things you would need to know um so Paul Germain has said in a way that he doesn't hate the movie or anything but he didn't exactly love everything about it. He did, didn't really like the story of the film. He felt that the film's writers didn't really understand what the series was about and then thought that the scene where like Stu gives a watch to Tommy doesn't really work as the adults aren't supposed to recognize that the babies are smart, you know? And in addition, he felt that by giving Tommy a baby brother, Tommy was no longer the baby, which changed the story of the series for what um, Paul intended it to be. Um, again, I don't think he disowns it or he hates it. I just think maybe he was like, eh, what are we doing? But it is what it is. But yeah, there's plenty of people, you know, so Lisa Schwartzbaum from Entertainment Weekly, she gave the film a B. She praised the film for its appeal to both audience, uh, adults and children audiences, quote, juxtaposing the blithely self-absorbed parallel universes of small diapered children and their large um, dockered parents. 
But then, like, Ty Burr from Entertainment Weekly gave it a B-, minus, criticizing that the film's issues sprung from its being, quote, bigger than the original series, thus it having more cultural references, out-of-place CGI scenes, and, quote, going into scary territory. Although he did praise the, quote, escaped monkey circus monkeys for being, quote, scary in a good way, as well as a joke that was accessible to younger audiences. And Roger Ebert gave it a two out of four, which is nice. He said the target audience was primarily younger children and that while he was as an adult disliked it, he quote might have liked it if it was, he was younger and would recommend it for children. Thanks, Robert. <laughs> Robert. Hey, Robert Ebert. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. Anyway, so it's a little bit about the movie, the production of it. There's not too much to go into about this. Uh, there is a fun little making of, um, little like half hour documentary you can find on YouTube. Just look up the making of the Rugrats movie. You'll find it. It's kind of cool. Um, yeah. So you'll, you'll hear about that a little bit. Um, if you want to look that up. I mean, the basic plot of this movie. So we find out that Dee Dee is pregnant with her second baby, which makes Tommy, um, her son, uh, played by E.G. Daly and, Dee Dee is Melanie um, Chartnoff, I believe. Anyway, so uh, makes her son Tommy worry um, how this will change the family dynamic. Um, the birth comes unexpectedly at her baby shower, um, and Dee Dee gives birth to a boy named Dill, or Dylan, really. Um, upon bringing him home, she and her husband Stu, played by Jack Riley, um, struggle to cope with Dill's constant outbursts, as a baby does. Um, Tommy finds his new brother hard to get along with, but Stu assures him that one day he will be happy to have Dill in his family, and Tommy accepts his newfound responsibility as an older brother. So while Dill is still causing um, problems at the Pickles House, uh, Phil and Lil suggest to use this Reptar wagon that Stu has made for a toy contest in Japan to win $500 uh, to take him back to the hospital. They're like, okay, we need to take this baby back to the hospital because that's how it works. Anyway, so as Tommy and Chucky argue with Phil and Lil, Angelica walks in telling the babies to be quiet. And in the process, Dill snatches her uh, Cynthia doll from her. Also, side note, Cynthia looks like she went to the tanning bed a little bit too much um, in this episode or in this particular movie. Um, so that made me a little uncomfortable, but that's okay. Anyway, so um, she fights still to get her doll back and accidentally kicks the reptar wagon, which begins to drive away with the babies on board. Um, and so they speed recklessly through the streets and land in the back of a van. It's a uh, mattress van, and uh, which crashes into the woods. And they just don't die, because you can't die in a Nickelodeon movie. Anyway, so... <laughs> Angelica shows no concern until she finds out that the babies have actually taken her Cynthia doll, um, which prompts her to take the family's dog Spike um, to find them and to help retrieve Cynthia. And so these babies are just like stuck in the woods. So Tommy leaves the babies towards a ranger's cabin, believing it to be the home of a magical quote lizard, uh, a mispronunciation of wizard. Um, so who can grant their wish to go home? Unbeknownst to them, they are pursued and hunted down by a bloodthirsty, ferocious wolf. Um, and on the way, um, they encounter monkeys who were hijacked, who then actually hijacked a crashed um, circus train. They kidnap Dill, the monkeys do, and then Tommy's friends refuse to help rescue him, believing they're better off without him. Um, Tommy sets off after his brother alone, and meanwhile, the family discovers that the babies are missing and set out to find them in the face of the media sensation, um, which uh, has generated around these children's disappearances. Uh, because, of course, it did. Anyway, so Drew and Charlotte arrive, and they uh, Drew learns from Rex Pester, uh, who is 
voiced by Tim Curry, uh, that his brother lost Angelica, uh, causing Drew to attack Stu. Um, also, side note about like the the birthing and whatever. I love that they have the different birthing rooms in the hospital. <laughs> they have like the old country room, and then they have like the underwater room. I was like, there are some rooms I want to know about in this hospital because this looks awesome. Anyway, oh, and we also have to talk about how like literally there is a whole. This is a musical too. There's so many different songs in this movie, which I'm kind of into. Um, there are some bops too, but like there are there are some bops like you know the all day song by Lisa Loeb, and then like um there's that song, and then just like. Uh, the Take Me There song by Blackstreet and all that. They're, they're, oh, oh, um, oh my God, what is it? Uh, the, the the Gwen Stefani song, the No Doubt song with Elvis, Elvis Costello. I throw my toys around. Oh my God, it's so good. Anyway, but some of the actual like in like movie songs that the kids are singing, they're okay. But uh, like a gift from a Bob is kind of a Bob. But like you know, whatever, it's all good. <laughs> anyway, so. So Tommy then eventually finds Dill during a storm and um, he struggles to take care of him because he's a year old. And so Dill um, continuously acts selfishly. Uh, Tommy eventually loses his temper and is about to pour mashed banana baby food onto Dill for the monkeys to eat him, which is very disturbing, by the way. This this whole story, um, I mean, it's about babies and it's about like the Rugrats, obviously. But like this shit is so sad, honestly. Um, Oh, my God. God. Anyway, shout out to E.G. Daly, I must say, because I think just her as Tommy Pickles, I think just her voice does such a good job of conveying the emotion that Tommy has. And I really appreciate and enjoy that. So shout out to you, E.G. Daly. Um, but yeah, but yeah, like he doesn't. He, but um, his rage like scares Dill and Dill's uh, tears cause Tommy to calm down, which I definitely cried at when I was like a child watching this movie in the theater. I definitely cried at this. Um, and I don't even have a brother. I have a sister. I have an older sister, as you may know. Um, so anyway, yeah. So Tommy begins to calm down and the brothers begin to bond. So after the storm, they reunite with Phil, Lil and Chucky who upon having a change of heart magically, um, they stop the monkeys from trying to take away Tommy and Dill. Um, Angelica then comes about and she recovers her Cynthia doll and she reunites with the babies. Um, And as they start to cross a damaged bridge, uh, Angelica falls out of the reptar wagon and hangs uh, through a gap in the bridge above a raging river. And they're confronted by the monkeys only to be scared off by a huge wolf who attempts and attacks the babies until Spike, the dog, intervenes and fights the wolf, sacrificing himself. But of course, because this is a kid's movie, uh, the dog can't die yet. So, Stu, who for some god forsaken reason is on this like pterodactyl-like invention he made, um, I don't know how they afford this house or anything, but like, okay, it's a cartoon. But like, <laughs> whatever. It's fine. Um... Charlotte is always the baddest of bitches, but oh, amazing. But okay, whatever. But he made this like pterodactyl thing, right? That he's like, it's like a hang glider, really. Um, he sees them from above and he crash lands into the ranger's cabin. Again, the rangers are David Spade and Whoopi Goldberg. Um, 
believing that he is the lizard, uh, the babies ask him to bring Spike back instead of going home. And so Stu falls through the bridge as well. And he reveals that Spike survived his fall by landing into the struts of the bridge. And then the children are reunited with their parents and they return back home and then end of credits. So, and then over the credits, they have like, um, like I think Blackstreet's playing and then like um, the I Throw My Toys Around is playing and all this kind of stuff. And it's literally, if you watch the end credits, you'll pretty much see like what the movie is, which is also kind of fun because it's a ch- children's movie. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of like any sort of particular scenes that are like kind of like fun or like stand out or whatever. I mean, definitely some of like the, uh, some of like the weird, like, humor in this movie so like (laughs) that kind of goes over kids heads that you now kind of get as an adult you know so like um they definitely make a circumcision joke which kids won't get but like i thought that was very funny uh like like obviously one baby was like circumcised and the other one wasn't and that's a whole little thing uh if they're born under venus look for a oh you know yeah it's that kind of a thing i mean yeah Oh, God, I'm trying to think what else. I will say, also, I noticed this. Um, Betty DeVille gets some shit done, okay? Because she is the one who... Uh, Betty DeVille is such an icon. We love her. Um, but she is she is the one who gets everything prepared with Dee uh, Dee having her kid, okay? And also, she's the one, when they find whatever the fuck, like, um, truck or whatever, um, she's like, all right, we need to get this shit together. You need to go look for these kids. All right, come on, chop, chop. Love Betty DeVille. We love her. Anyway, so she's just an icon and she has the feminist, like, she has the female, like, um, little, you know, symbol or whatever. Oh, amazing. Such a lesbian, such a les, big les energy, but loved. Loved it. Anyway, so I don't even know if she specifically is now a lesbian. I didn't watch that reboot or anything, so I don't know. Anybody who's, like, a reboot regrets fan, let me know, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think what else there is. The 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 scene where the babies, um, all of the newborn babies are singing is still very uncanny and unsettling a little bit. Uh, the fact that it's also just like the random ass like musical artists is like just really funny to me. Um, I don't know. And they probably did it because like they had kids or something or like they just themselves were like, like I said, Lisa Loeb, like she just like found this show and just liked it which i can kind of get it's just like a fun little show to watch here and there when you're like in your 20s um or whatever it's fine (laughs) but yeah i mean i feel like if anything like this movie in particular is definitely a it's such a slice of life type thing and this is just on a grander scale really because it's a movie now and so i think that if anything I guess in terms of, like, cult status, I, I mean, I think, like, if anything, just having this be the first Nicktoon movie was a, kind of a big deal, you know? And it obviously made a lot of money, um, because, of course, it would. It, it was a children's movie, and I think children's movies sometimes end up into the, the cult, if you will, um, just because, you know because it's not the same as like just regular feature films all the time, you know, especially live action stuff. It just isn't. Um, and I, I just think like Nickelodeon, I mean, it was a huge network obviously. And like, you know, Rugrats obviously is a very popular thing, but 
you know, it's so weird. And again, maybe it's because I'm just turning into dust as we speak. But like, you know, I don't know how many people watch the Rugrats anymore. I don't know how many young people watch the Rugrats anymore. You know, the old one and would know about this movie or, or anything like that. So it's like, I just think it's so important to always, you know, support this this art that you like. And Rugrats is always something that is very close to my heart. It's something I grew up with and I, I really loved at one point. I remember playing like the PS1 game and like just being so interested in this this little show that was so cool and and was just kind of like weirdly done and drawn. And, and you know, Klasky Shupo has now gone on to like do so many different things. Um, you know, I mean they did like Rocket Power, as told by Ginger, which of course you know how I feel about as told by Ginger. Um, you know, and all these different shows, but it really started, I think with something like the Rugrats, you know, and, and just being able to, because as you'll notice, as I move through the rest of the episodes I'll be doing, um, for next year and all this, um, you know, I want to make sure I'm paying, uh, paying respect and some homage, not homage really, but like, uh, being able to bring up these movies and, something that means, you know, something that means something to me, you know, and to hopefully you as a listener and all that. But, uh, I, I just think with Rugrats specifically, like I really loved the show. I did see this movie when I was a little young child and I probably of course liked it cause it was for, for me, you know? Um, but I definitely think like, this is still a movie that I think it still kind of holds up pretty much, you know, it's, always about just like morality and like a lesson you learn and things of that sort. So it's nothing too super groundbreaking or anything, but there are certain parts that are really cool. Like seeing, you know, like very Jewish characters and seeing like a black family living in the neighborhood and seeing like someone like Betty DeVille and like, you know, the fact that this was like co-created by a woman and also like voiced by a bunch of women, you know, it's just so cool to have had this as part of, I mean, it really was like, I'm not, I'm not the hugest like super SpongeBob super fan or anything. I do like SpongeBob enough, but like, you know, but like Rugrats really was that girl back in the day. It just was, you know, that's the way to explain it is that like before Rugrats and be, or sorry, before um, SpongeBob and before like Dora the Explorer, for example, Rugrats is what you had. Rugrats was the big one. And I guess Blue's Clues is also pretty big too um, for the preschool sect, you know, but, uh, but that's what this was, you know? And so, um, it's hard not to talk about that and and to be able to to pay respect to it and and yeah, it's just a fun little movie. I really just think like it's a fun little movie. It's on Paramount. It's on YouTube right now with free with ads, so you can easily watch it. Um, yeah, I I enjoyed myself seeing it. It was nice to watch it as an adult because I had not seen it as an adult. Um, and it's just something that makes you feel kind of nice. You know, it's not too. There's little parts of it that are annoying because it's literally babies and all that. Um, yeah, but like also, like I can kind of push my, I can kind of push that to the side a little bit and just be like, I mean, it's that's the point. But I think the overall message there and the overall kind of journey that the kids go on is one that I really do enjoy. And 
I mean, I can't, I, I can't get over my, my admiration for this television show as a whole and what it did for just animation in general. I, I definitely think Rugrats is in that conversation of just, this was a big deal at one point. Um, and I like that this, at least in some way, had the distinction of being a an animated movie that was not a Disney movie that made a buttload of money because it should have. Um, and I'm glad it did. So, you know, and again, it's like 50-50. Like, some people liked it, some people hate it, whatever. But uh, I am somebody who I still think does enjoy it, and I do like the series as a whole, and I will always, I will always sing the praises of Rugrats and, and all of that, but... That's pretty much what I would say. I would say it's a fun movie. You know, if you want to see if your kids like it, great. You know, if you have children um, or even if you yourself are are like a big kid and you like animated stuff, it's always good to go back and and watch things and, you know, see how you feel about them now. And I'm glad I did that with with this particular series and all that um, in this particular movie as well. So, yeah, I give a thumbs. I give at least a thumbs up on the Rugrats movie. It's a fun movie. And, uh, you know, give it a, give it a shot. I don't think you'll regret it. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so via email at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. In case you want to give any movie or episode recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you'd like to just say, hey, I'm open to all of it. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can do so on Instagram and Instagram threads at Cult Cinema Circle. I tend to post what I'll be covering for the next week on there, post stories, things like that. On X, I'm at Cult Cinema Circle. On there, I don't really post a whole lot, but if you want to follow the show, it's there for you to follow. And then on Letterboxd, I'm at Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On there, I log little movie reviews, I'll log what I'm watching, and then it's also a nice way to kind of see what I might be covering on the show in the future. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty much on all of them. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review about the show uh, so we can grow the audience and then just spread the love all around. Be sure to tune in next week to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, where returning guest Pickens Berenger and I will be covering all nine movies in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. All I've got to say is who will survive and what will be left of them. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, in my day, we had plenty of fun throwing rocks at each other. Big bag of dirt clods. That's what the kids want. Take care. Bye.